Apple presents events at the Apple Store. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome this evening's guest moderator, Mike Jones, and tonight's guest, Eric Benet. So we're going to start at the beginning, because people aren't here to... All right. Talk a little bit about how you got involved in music. You're originally from Milwaukee? Born and raised in Milwaukee, and um, I'm just the youngest of a group of very talented singing family members. And so being the baby, just growing up in that environment, it was um, inevitable. And, um, you know, like my, my siblings would, um, it was kind of strange because they were, um, they would have subscriptions to magazines like Billboard and Downbeat, and, and, and those are industry magazines, which is weird because, you know, um, they were just a little, little older than me, but our family loved music that much. And so they would find out whatever records were the most highly reviewed that week and they would go get them. And, you know, they try to, we try to play them and we would hear the harmonies on the songs if they were like dope, intricate harmonies that we'd love. And we all had these great ears and we'd be like, okay, tenor, bass, alto, boom. And then when I was old enough, they would give me a note and I was so happy. And it taught me how to stay on my note. You know, back then I was always soprano, you know. But uh, so that was just the environment. So music is just always, music for me is just synonymous with love and communication with loved ones. So um, yeah, that, um, that was my beginning, beginning. So how did you kind of get into the, the business of, of music? Well, I think, um, you know, once I decided that, um, you know, the traditional route of like, you know, getting a job and going to college and, which is great if, if you know, if you have the um, brain capacity for that, I, I apparently don't. <laughs> but I dropped out of college after two years and then I just started performing in a uh, band I started performing in a top 40 band in Milwaukee. And uh, it was, you know, for the region, it was a very successful band. My, my sound, sound man back there was in the band, too. That sexy man in the blue shirt right there. <clears throat> but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so um, that turned out to be the best training in the world for, for what I do today. You know, there's nothing like, you know, going to some obscure-ass uh bar full of drunk people somewhere in Wisconsin and they want to hear Free Bird and they want to hear Leonard Skinner and you about to do Bobby Brown and you got to make them love it, you know. So um, that was that was great, like learning how to win people over in the audience and just learning your performance chops and all that. So you've been in the game for a while. This yes. Is your sixth album? This is my, this is, what is this? Yeah. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Who am I again? Uh, yeah, yeah, this is a sick solo. So y y right now you're sort of classified as an R&B soul. How do you classify yourself? What do you I mean, I guess if I had to, I would just call myself a, a you know, soul uh, person. <laughs> soul singer, I guess. So, so a, a, lot, a lot of people know you from probably the biggest success that, that early on was your second album. Yeah, A Day in the Life. And, and a couple of really big singles from there. Talk a little bit about that project. Uh, well, yeah, my, my, first, uh, my first album was True to Myself, and it was one of those albums that came out and uh, 
critics were feeling it, um, got some, you know, some bubbling under notoriety, but it really didn't sell a whole lot. Um, but then my next album, A Day in the Life, um, was much more commercially successful. I had um, um, two number one songs on that, Georgie Porgy and um, Spend My Life. Spend My Life. <laughs> I got some great fans, y'all, by the way. We don't even need to ask you the questions. We're yeah. just going to put you the know questions what? over hey, here. You Tell know us what? about his early years. Okay, good. These, in the front row, these are the true EBs. Amen. Now, now the, see, that's love. Now, the true EBs have been with me from the start. Yes, I sir. bet you could ask any obscure question, and I bet they would know the answer. I'm not even going to ask you any more questions. Okay. <laughs> Ladies, tell us about his early <clears throat> So two really big singles. And how, how did... Um, how did that affect kind of the next, the expectations sort of for your next Well, project? I mean, the way it works uh, in the record industry is if you make a record and, uh, um, you know, your sales have made a little bit of a profit, then you get to make another record. So, I mean, it was, um, it was great to have the excitement of the label um, behind me, or, or at least it felt like that. But often what happens in uh, record labels is there's this executive kind of revolving door where people are leaving and people are going. And, you know, by the time uh, you may be a newly signed artist, but if your album comes out a year and a half later, the person who signed you may not be there anymore. So, so basically, after the A Day in the Life album, um, I, I went in and recorded this album called uh, Better and Better which I thought was a bomb-ass album. Yeah, okay, see? <laughs> but, um, you know, uh, record labels, you're, you're basically subject to um, if the right person in power does not feel what you're doing, then it may not come out and you may get kicked off the label. So for whatever reason, um, the president at that time just didn't feel the record. And so I made it a point to take each one of those songs and release release one or two of those songs on the next albums that came out. And and uh, every time I've done that, like those songs have been some, some of the favorites, favorites of people like uh, Pretty Baby or I Want to Be Loved or Touching Again, Thank You, or Be Better and Better. Look at, see the true EBs. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah yeah good good so uh, let's talk about how what you learned from that experience and kind of how it shaped where you are today well that's a good question um before i had my solo project my sister and i actually had a brother and sister duo album um and it was called benet um before my relationship with warner brothers and and it was very educational because um, I learned so much about uh, the politics of the industry and just the corporate world. And, you know, I was just this kid from Milwaukee who was all of a sudden now in LA making a record and meeting some of my idols. And, but uh, one of the most valuable lessons that I learned from that process is um, hold on to autonomy and control uh, with all of your life, if you can. Um, and 
you know, the, the, the relationship between Warner Brothers and I, it went through, obviously, some ups and some downs, and um, it just got to a point where um, I really needed to have control, and um, so they were gracious enough to allow me to, to leave so that I could do this project now, the one, which is all of that autonomy and control that I've been dreaming about my entire career. And uh, so it's my, my own record label. It's a partnership with EMI, and it's, it's going really well. So what is that like? Sometimes they tell you to be careful what you ask for. That is uh, nothing truer could be said. I mean, it's, it's by far, it's um, wonderful, you know, um, being able to take your career into your own hands like that. Um, you know, if there is, you know, I don't even, you know, you put everything, you have your pros and your cons, and I mean, to me, it's not, it's not a con as much as it is just, you know, a matter of course, I got to write the checks now. If I want to do a video, if I wanted a video before on Warner Brothers, I didn't know if I would get one because, you know, they just weren't really trying to write checks like that all the time. So I'm, am I going to get a second single? Are y'all going to give me a video on my second single? I don't know. Um, but now, <clears throat> uh, I can have a video if I write that check for a video. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so that, that poses its own challenges. Uh, but it's great. It's great. We just shot a video for Harriet Jones, which, um, which is, a, is a single that we're working right now and is doing really well at radio. And um, we're fortunate enough to have the very talented uh, Karina Smirnoff from Dancing with the Stars and teach me how to do some some steps. <laughs> you need the help? Obviously, <laughs> by that. But um, but no, it's going to be a nice little video and it's uh, going to be out shortly. And it was a lot of fun. Nice, nice, nice. So we'll come back to the new project. Let's talk a little bit about your your creative process. Okay. Because you're a singer and songwriter. Um, do you have a favorite singing songwriting? And talk a little bit about, you know, kind of what your influences are. Um, I don't, uh, singing, songwriting, it's difficult to, to pick which one is um, a favorite. Um, they're both so synonymous to me because even when I'm, when I'm singing a song that's already written, it's like in a lot of ways I'm al almost rewriting some of the melody as I'm doing it, so that's always fun. Um, but... Uh, you know, my, my writing process is uh, one that, you know, I, I still don't really understand. I just appreciate it and I'm grateful for it. Um, there's usually always music going on in my head. And uh, whenever it's time to write a song, I just uh, grab something that's floating around up there uh, melodically. And uh, But the challenge is usually the lyrics, you know, because the lyrics, I, I really... I, um, I put a lot of effort into m trying to make sure that the lyrics don't sound too contrived and, you know, I mean, there's nothing that hasn't already been said in R&B and love songs. I mean, everybody had their heart broken, everybody, you know, fiending about some girl they can't have and, you know, so there's all, all these subjects that have already been saying about, but, you know, I just want to really put work into making sure that I can say it in a way that is in some way, um, 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 like rigorously honest and also uh, a, an interesting, unique way of, of, of saying it. So 
that's, that's usually the challenge for me. So the words take a while. But the music is just, like, if we were writing a song now, it'd just be like, there's a song. I mean, there, well, there's, there's the melody, and there's a basic structure of the song. And I, I have some people that I love to, to work with um, and that I've been working with for years. It would be my cousin, George, who I, you know, has been there from, from the very beginning, since Benet, and also uh, my boy, uh, DeMonte, another Milwaukeean. And on this album, actually, on the one, I actually just incorporated my very talented band members that I tour with. And, um, you know, we just kind of woodshedded it. You know, you know, we all was holed up in a studio, in a rehearsal studio, and came up with a bunch of musical ideas. And, um, and my uh, music director, John Rich, is actually going to be playing for you later. So um, it was more of a collaborative musical effort this time. It was a lot of fun. Well, it seemed, the thing that... that is very obvious is that you had musicians really, really working on this because it's a very musical album. You can hear every instrument and there's every one of them has a point. You know, you, you kind of take, go back to the music and, and soul and R&B of the, the 70s and, yeah. and before that. You, yeah. it, it felt like you really took your time to make sure that you had that time. This is my interpretation. Please give me your own. No, I think you're hitting it on the, on the you're definitely hitting it on the head. I mean, I, I guess I just have this, um, I don't know, I, I think about when I was 18, I'm 15, and um, some of my older family members would hear the stuff that we were listening to and they'd say, that ain't no music. That ain't no music, y'all. Y'all, the music from, from the 50s and 60s, now Nat King Cole, that was, that was music. Ella Fitzgerald, I agreed with them. I was like, yeah, you're right, that was, that was great. That was great, great music. But now I feel like I'm that, old relative now because when I listen to the radio it's fun you know a lot of a lot of the more popular music it's it's, it's fun and if I go to the club like it's the kind of stuff I want to hear if I want to attempt embarrassing myself by dancing but it doesn't like hit the soul you know it doesn't like emotionally vibrate with me and so I guess I'm just defiantly like a few other artists out there just trying to hold that torch for that um, soulful live instrumentation, um, vocals that aren't over-processed, and somebody who can really sing uh, with the bed of some musicians who are really dope playing, you know? Um, so, I mean, I, I, I fail. Um, I refuse to believe that uh, there will not be an audience for that. It may not be, you know, cover of the magazines and you know this that and the other but I think there's always going to be um, a faithful audience for musical integrity. Let's talk a little bit about integrity because now you're a businessman in addition to a you know musician and a songwriter do you ever feel pressure to create music to have it get radio play or because something is a sound for now um, you ever feel that pressure? Well I think the converse is actually uh, the case because I've never felt that pressure and I've uh, pretty much every time I go into the studio uh, it, it isn't my goal to make a radio record it's my goal to make um, you know the music that we were talking about like make music that gives me goosebumps and make music that you know I can just I and everybody else that I'm working with in the studio can just feel it that that joint right there is crazy you know so um, and I think that's why I've been able to sustain myself and stay 
you know, relevant over the past couple decades because I'm not trying to chase radio. You know, I'm trying to tap into something that's classic. You're not making disposable music. I'm trying not to. No, you're not. <laughs> Clearly, you got folks here who would agree you're not making disposable music. Thank you. Um, a personal observation of mine is that you really love women. I do. Because <laughs> every song is about women. You, you are very perceptive, sir. I, too, love women. Good. But talk to... <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I mean, you know, whatever pills your banana, right, right, right. but, you know. But I don't write songs about it all the time. Oh, okay. You probably write papers or something about it, poems or something, no? No. Okay. My well. wife does not want to hear all of this. <laughs> but this is not about me. We can talk about me next week. <laughs> okay. But t let's talk, because you've got um, two women in your life now. A, little, a, a brand new one. Three. Three. Yeah. Your, mm -hmm. your wife. But I, I was talking about your daughter. Ah, yeah. The little ones. Talk and, and not so little ones. Talk right. talk about your daughters because your 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 older daughter mm. now is part of your process. Uh, yeah, talk, she is. Talk, tell us a little bit about that. Well, since the first day I held her, she's been part of my process. But um, on this particular album, um, I wanted to do a duet with India. India is extremely talented musically. She is has, she has the most beautiful voice, and she has. Um, you know, she has the personality and she's, you know, she's just, uh, she's amazing. So I wanted to do this um, uh, duet with her on the record and I wanted it to be about our relationship. And it's, uh, it's a song called Music. She's in the studio working on her own stuff now. Um, her focus is school. And if you're listening, India, go study. But um, yeah, so, um, She's, she's incredible, and I mean, there's, there's no greater joy uh, than working in the studio with, for me, than your child. I mean, it's just amazing. Do you ever want to protect her from, you know, sort of the business of, of yeah. entertainment and music? Yeah, yeah, because just like I was that uh, older relative who uh, will tell the young kids, that ain't music, um, I'm also, I have turned into my father. When I went to my dad and said, Daddy, you know, I don't want to do this college thing. I want to, like, join a band and be a rock star. And my dad looked at me and was like, boy, you better go back to school. <laughs> um, but I didn't listen to my dad. Um, but uh, India is, uh, you know, she's smart enough to figure out, especially in this climate right now, um, both economically and just in the music industry, um, you, you need to... Um, have plan B and plan C. Yep. Cool. So. so we're going to turn this over to the folks in the audience who are your biggest fans and, and give them the opportunity Dope. to ask some questions of you. Love um, it. I think the one thing that we ask is that you wait until you have a microphone. Um, just raise your hand. Let us know you're ready to ask a question. We'll get you a microphone, um, and we will get one to you. Uh, we have a question over here in the second row. Ah. Uh, yes. Um, in Lost in Time, you have a duet with uh, Eddie LaVert. What was that like, and what made you decide to choose him as your duet partner on a song like that? That's a great question. Uh, Lost in Time was an album uh, that I did a few years ago, and it was my homage to um, mid-'70s, early-'70s soul. And I uh, was in the studio once again with my cousin George, and we were coming up with some ideas for songs, and we, we were vibing this one idea, 
And without any lyrics, or it was just the vibe of the music, it was pretty clear that it felt like an OJ song. And you know, once that was as obvious as it was, uh, the next comment that came out of both of our mouths at the same time was, Eddie LaVert, we got to get him. And so we sent Eddie the, the demo, and he loved it. He loved it, and um, it, was, it was a joy working with him. I mean, he is um, an amazing, you know, he's a legend in, in the R&B game. Um, he's gone through, like, a lot of tragedy over the past couple years, but to meet him, you would never know that. I mean, you just, you know, he just hugged you. We started laughing. We did the session. We go get something to eat, and then, uh, and then, and then he just starts to tell stories. It's like the same thing, like whenever I'm blessed and lucky enough to hang out with somebody who's been in the industry so long as Eddie, or if I'm with, with Quincy Jones, it's like, I just shut up and listen because you're about to hear like the most amazing stories about you never believe who was hiding in the closet when so-and-so was, you know, I don't mean figuratively. I mean, they really had like a girl hiding in the closet, you know, like, really? She was, you know, so, you know, I hear all kind of stories and um, uh, that was a wonderful experience. We got the next question uh, in the second row over here. Hello. Hey, how's it going, Eric? What's up? Um, you were talking just a minute ago about the importance of in today's both overall economy and then music economy specifically having a plan B and a plan C. Yeah. Did you have a plan B back when you <laughs> had that conversation with your father 25 no. years ago? No. And, and, and would you have thought about things a little differently if you were facing that same decision in today's music climate relative to... That is a, a great question. If I wasn't as big of a knucklehead as I was back then, I would have done what my uh, much more um, intelligent and uh, my, my, my daughter, India, is taking the smart route, you know. She's, uh, she's finishing what she started. And, uh, and so, I mean, it's, it's such a different industry now. It's, it's almost like the industry, it's not, a rec it's not an industry of selling records anymore as much as it is, it's just trying to saturate yourself in whatever way that you can. The internet, airplay, uh, you, know, uh, you know, a train wreck on a reality show or whatever. <laughs> but you, you just, um, you know, because people just don't buy records like they used to. Um, you know, uh, I figure if you go, you sell 100,000 units today, that's like going gold a few years ago. So, I mean, you just have to be more creative and smart, and you definitely don't have as much money uh, for the marketing and for the videos and for the investment anymore. So it's really about being as, as smart with uh, your money as you possibly can. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. so while we're waiting for the next person, Wheezy, how did you get involved with Lil Wayne? Because, I mean, of all the people, you know, you're thinking, I would see him with and that and Wheezy. Tell me how that, besides your love for Red Bones. Well, we were just in dressage class the other day. Okay. No. Um, okay. You know, I did a song a few years ago called Sometimes I Cry. I think we'll do that today. Yep. Um, and it's one of those songs that just emotionally, bam, like knocks you out. Like if you've never been through a heartache, you can feel what it's like. Uh, and uh, Wheezy was incarcerated. Mm -hmm. 
and I never met him. What did you say? Again. Oh, he said again. <laughs> I, I never met him before, but I, I, was st I started seeing all these interviews and articles about his favorite song was Sometimes I Cry. And I, like you, was like, what the hell? <laughs> really? And he, he said in the interview, it was like, yeah, you know, um, I even go so far as to just wait by the radio for that song to come on. And so that really touched me that he would, you know, you know, be incarcerated like that in such a lonely place and, you know, wait for something that I created to give him some relief. So um, when we, uh, my band and I, we came up with the groove for Redbone Girl, which once again wasn't a song. It was just me mumbling something over this groove. Um, there was just this hole in the song, and we didn't know, should, should we do a bridge? Should I do another verse? And I was like, no, 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 no. Let's get somebody to, to, a, to drop a verse right here, like a rapper. And um, my first thought, most likely, not only for the reason of the interviews I read about Sometimes I Cry, but also because Redbone Girl is such a southern, gritty, um, you know, kind of vibe. And I thought, I thought Wheezy would fit perfectly on it. We have a question over here in the second row again. Hey. Oh, that second row. Hey, what's going on, Eve? Oh, there hey. we go. <laughs> hey. okay. um, I have a very difficult question. Okay. Who's your favorite male vocalist of all time, and <laughs> what did you think about Whitney Houston's voice? Oh, man. Yeah, that is, uh, those are two <laughs> very difficult questions. I don't do well with favorites. I could probably, like off the top of my head, tell you like my top three favorite male vocalists of all time, uh, Nat King Cole, Donny Hathaway, Stevie Wonder. Um, and Whitney was a bar that will never be met again. Um, you know, I, I, just, I just feel like Whitney's voice was this perfect combination of uh, power and uh, tone and uh, 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 vulnerability and uh, just commanding presence. Uh, and she just effortlessly had that in whatever the song. Some of the songs I didn't like, but because it was Whitney singing it, I just, oh, I got to listen to this. So, I mean, she was, uh, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll never, I, I can't imagine there ever being that perfect combination of talent and beauty again. Next question, your second row to your you right. You gotta have some questions down here, too. You all know the answers. You ain't got no questions. All right, we know, never mind. Yeah, y'all yeah, don't got no questions. I should be asking y'all questions. <laughs> Hi, Eric, how you doing? What's up, sir? Um, first time I heard you was uh, Thin Line Between Love and Hate. Wow, Soundtrack. Love Don't Love Me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and also your performance at the Soul Train Awards okay. was amazing. Thank you, sir. But since we're here in the Apple Store, I would like to know what five singles or five albums do you have in your iPod? Good question. Um, I am one for the classics. So uh, I have, um, you know, well, my classics. You know, me, me growing up classics, which would be, I don't know, Donald Fagan, The Nightfly, uh, Rags to Rufus, Rufus Shaka Khan, um, you know, um, 
let's see, um, any Funkadelic album, um, any uh, Ella Fitzgerald album from back in the day, um, all the Queens stuff, all the Beatles stuff, um, yeah, and all, obviously all the Stevie Wonder's stuff, yeah. We have we have time for time for two more questions. Hey, that's my cousin Judy. Judy, <laughs> that's the we've been waiting for you. Where you been? The George that I was talking about earlier. That's George's sister. Talking hey. all about you. You ain't been here. <laughs> hey, we've got one question in the front row. Where we at? Hey. How you doing? What's up? Any thoughts of Marvin Gaye? Ooh. Has he influenced you at all? Absolutely, Marvin Gaye has influenced me. And I, I think of Marvin Gaye, I think of artists like Marvin Gaye and Donny Hathaway and, um, well, not limited to them, but it, it just seems like the more tumultuous and challenging their personal lives were, it, it seems as though the most amazing art comes, I mean, it's, it's, it's a shame that it seems more often than not that life, uh, that's the way we get our gifts is through adversity. And, but Marvin was definitely one of those. I mean, he, he, he like reshaped the game of, people always talk about Earth, Wind, and Fire as who are another, you know, um, I'm huge fans of Earth, Wind, and Fire, but uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire as, as the, the R&B group that, um, you know, it wasn't about the single, it was about you put the album on and it was an experience. But Marvin was that before Earth, Wind, and Fire. You know, Marvin would make a record and, you know, it, it so wasn't about one song or uh, it was about his voice taking you on this political, social, romantic journey. And uh, yeah, I absolutely am a huge fan and influenced by Marvin. Our last question is right up front. Is it you? No? Oh. Hi. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> nice to meet you. Um, with like everything that you've achieved and just experienced, I mean, I've I have been a devoted fan. Oh, wow, thank a you. Long thank time. you very much. <laughs> but um, how do you stay grounded? Like, what are the things that like keep you just, you know, calm and collected? That's a great question. What keeps me grounded? Uh, my family. You know, my family, my mom and my dad were. Um, they instilled in us, all of us, just. Um, humility, uh, gratitude, um, um, and that, you know, always in whatever you do, like try to do your best. And, um, you know, and once you get there, realize you didn't do it by yourself. Um, so I don't know. I just think I hear, I hear my mom and my dad, um, you know, reverberating somewhere in the back of my mind all the time. And I think that's just the result of good parenting, I guess. Wonderful. So thank you all for your questions. Mr. Eric Benet, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very, very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.